today on Millennial. We can give refunds, and we're happy to. Yeah, we've we've done it for sure. If if your reasoning is good, I yeah. mean, you can't just ask us. <laughs> you can't just be like, Andrew, you haven't told enough stories about simming lately. I feel I've been uh, shorted. I'm still honestly flabbergasted by the judge's decision to allow this entire trial to be televised, especially when you look at some of the evidence that was brought forth. We shouldn't be allowed to listen. You know, you're talking about people at at their lowest. And the fact that we now get to listen to that and use that as entertainment or water cooler talk is kind of gross. The January 6th commission hearings kicking off this Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. I just love that they're televising it during prime time. The committee is going to be showing some previously never before seen evidence. Coming up, Meryl Streep will introduce some previously never before seen footage. Welcome to Millennial, the home of fake adulting, but real coffee talk. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. A new study about coffee finds that those who drank moderate amounts were up to 30% less likely to die during the study period than those who didn't drink coffee. It's the latest in a long line of... very exciting news. Yeah. I think, Laura, you said something about being immortal. Yeah, I must be. I mean, I I drink three to four cups a day, sometimes more. I have a mm-hmm. problem. But I do have a question about this. The participants who were drinking more coffee were less likely to die. Does that mean somebody died during the study? During the study period, yes. I think okay. uh, they, they, <laughs> oh just God. fewer people died who drank coffee than didn't. I think Got that's it. the takeaway. This was a pretty big study. There were 170,000 people in the study between the ages of 37 and 73. Coffee drinkers in the study enjoyed one and a half to three and a half cups of coffee per day, even with a teaspoon of sugar. The data was inconclusive, though, for those who drank coffee with artificial sweeteners. So if you uh, drink your coffee with Splenda or one of these others, you might still die. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But researchers warned that they cannot say coffee itself lowers the risk of dying. However... Previous research has linked coffee consumption with a lower risk of Parkinson's disease, heart disease, type 2 diabetes, and liver and prostate cancers. So this is just another good study about coffee. This brings me much joy, as we've discussed prior. Same. I I thought we could talk about quickly, how does everyone here take their coffee? Oat milk only. No sugar. I quit sugar in my coffee probably a good 10 years ago. It was a little strange to get used to. It took it took maybe a week. But after that, I didn't look back again. I see people going to Dunkin' and these other coffee shops, and they pour their own sugar in. And oh my God, it's terrifying. They just turn the bottle upside down and hold it there for 10 seconds. I toggle back and forth between black or with milk only milk. Uh, and any creamer, even if it doesn't have any sugar added al- already, is going to have some sugar in it. My favorite creamer, which I will take a minute to recommend as my recommendation for the week, is Nut Pods. I love Nut Pods. I've been such a huge fan of that company for so long. Super good. And if you want something slightly sweetened to kind of like phase yourself out if you're looking to do that, or even if you just like sweeter coffee, they do sell sweetened versions of 
versions of some of the flavors now, which is good, but it's really nice. It's uh, lactose free, which is great because I'm mostly lactose intolerant, as we've discussed before on the show. I saw you modeling, hand modeling nuts. I mean, nut I, pods. Yes, yes. Ooh, on your yes. Instagram so, the other day. I was so excited. They sent me. They, uh, they have sent a collaboration. Yeah, they have a collaboration with Chamberlain Coffee. Yeah, and I was oh. very excited to get that package because, you know, I will I will take any of the free nut pods they want to send my way. Oh, that was a great Instagram story, too. You got Pam's painted nails and the, the slowly pouring my the nails nut look pod. great. Shout out to Hala Taco, my other recommendation from a few weeks ago. One of our listeners thanked you for that in our Facebook group. Oh, really? I don't know if you That's saw fantastic. That. I didn't, but I'll have to go look. I'm so glad that they are enjoying those polishes, too. Somebody said, you always give the best recs. And I agree. It's yeah, always new stuff you. that I've never I heard of. <laughs> Pam's down with the people, y'all. She She's like, <laughs> she knows what's up. She does. Me and Laura, like, <laughs> we don't know anything new these days. <laughs> no, I'm like, oh, God, what have I been watching lately? What reruns? I guess I'll recommend Mad Men right. for the... 50th fucking time. Yeah, exactly. I've literally <laughs> been rewatching Seinfeld lately, like actually trying to watch every episode. So anyway, I actually have a related recommendation this week, and it's not as exciting as Pam's nut pod recommendation, but it's more of a challenge for everybody. Try to stop adding coffee to your sugar. <laughs> I guess some people do add coffee to their sugar. Try to stop adding sugar to your coffee. Give it. Try it for a couple days. See how it goes. Of course, that sugar's not healthy, so you should really try to wean yourself off of it. Give Do it you want to know how I decide whether this is so bad, whether I add milk or to my coffee or not? It's it's if I have had enough food before I drink the coffee because yeah. I don't want black coffee on on an empty stomach. Oh, so like okay. right now I'm in between. Obviously, like it's not quite dinner time, but too late for lunch, so I have I have milk in my iced coffee. Laura said she does three to four cups a day. Pam, how many cups a day for you? Also about three to four cups, but I've cut back a lot. I, I can feel you judging me already. <laughs> no, I'm not judging you. Um, I used to drink so much more in college. So much more. Me too. We just want to let our listeners know. I drink two to three a day. I do one French press of coffee a day. I don't know how much is actually in that. It works out to about two cups of coffee. So basically, we're getting this on the record so that whichever one of us dies first... We can test this study, right? Like, yeah. yes. Did I mean, between <laughs> being avid coffee drinkers and consumers of CBD oil, I feel like, you know, we're doing pretty well according to all these studies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> going like, to live forever. So. Yeah, yeah. Don't take this study too seriously. We see studies like this from time to time, like I said, about coffee. And then there's always studies saying something's good for you. Then there's another study saying it's bad for you. Two glasses of wine a night is great for you. Oh, two glasses of wine a night is really bad for you. Watch out. Sitting's bad for you. Standing's bad for you. Everything's bad for you. Everything's good for you. Yeah. <laughs> it just all cancels itself out. <laughs> yeah. And a good point to bring up here, it's something James is bringing up in our Discord, um, is that these research studies can be misleading because oftentimes they will find a correlation with, say, drinking coffee and living longer. But just because there's a correlation between those two things does not mean that there's causation, like that drinking coffee will definitely do that. So right. it's fun. Fair. It's fun to banter about it, but it is a valid thing to uh, bring up. Because, yeah, you're right, Andrew. It feels like every time you turn around, there's some other miracle product 
that's either going to extend your life or there's some, you know, thing that if you eat, you're going to get cancer and die in two days. Like, yeah, you really can't exactly. win. Right. I have been seeing this story pop up every now and again for the past couple of months or so. And if you're on the book talk side of TikTok, perhaps you've also heard people talking about this. So uh, the long and short of it is that a lot of people are seemingly taking advantage of Amazon's very generous return policy when it comes to ebooks. So as I said, over the course of the past few months, we've seen a lot of people speak up about this on the internet. And last week, there were a few authors that took to Twitter specifically, essentially just begging readers not to return the ebooks they buy off of Amazon after they finished reading them. And this is something that it had never crossed my mind to even think of doing. So it's kind of crazy to hear that that this is common practice for some people. Something important to note, because I noticed that in the replies, a few were a little confused. This doesn't apply to any books read or returned through Amazon's Kindle Unlimited subscription, because authors get paid in a different way with that when you subscribe through that option. And it also does not apply to any ebooks that are listed free of charge on Amazon, because those things exist as well. So we're talking about ebooks that you pay for flat out. All of this kind of started as a result of users on TikTok framing this as a hack of sorts for you to read free books and then get your money back, which again is kind of messed up because libraries exist for a reason. You know, you can get a lot of stuff through the library for free. And so there's no need to do this. Um, And then what it really messes up is that uh, self-published authors specifically end up having to return royalties. So they come out negative in some cases if people do this too often. So we have a couple of tweets here. These are the ones that I saw, though I'm sure that there are more out there. The first one comes from an author named Lisa Kessler, who said, just a reminder that Amazon is not a library. When you read and return a book, it costs the author. It's June 1st, and I owe Amazon at the moment because people are reading through the Muse series and returning the books when they finish them. Authors need to eat, too. And then fellow author Kate Bromberg tweeted, every time you return an ebook at Amazon, the authors charge back more than what they were paid for the sale. Yes, that means we could owe Amazon at the end of the month. Since TikToks went viral saying it's okay to return ebooks, most authors' returns have skyrocketed. Reading and returning books is stealing. If you want free books, try the library app Libby, among others. Wow. That's really shocking. I I think most people would not guess that an author, if the... I guess, returns exceed the sales have to actually pay Amazon. But I'm trying to figure out, Pam, how exactly does this add up to the point where the author would owe Amazon? Where's the discrepancy there? So I was hoping to find more information on that. I couldn't find anybody giving a specific number or how this is calculated, which I guess makes sense because people tend to be fairly cagey about finances and how things work. But it's unfortunate because it would I think it would go a long way if authors that were suffering from this were a little bit more blatantly transparent about just how much this takes out of their own pockets. But from what I was able to deduce, um, it they get paid a royalty every time they sell a book. And so then when the book gets returned, Amazon asks for that royalty back. 
And this, so this affects specifically um, self-published authors as well, because they're not going through a publishing house. Okay. But there are a lot of self-published authors out there, especially in the romance genre. And those books tend to sell really well um, yeah. in terms of eBooks as well. I still don't understand. I mean, what you were just describing, though, was a one to one ratio. Like if they get royalties and then they have to pay them back, they don't owe Amazon. You know what I mean? They don't go into debt. Yeah, I guess those people Uh, just assume that that money is going to stay in their account. And so then it feels like they're going into debt because they have to return that money. Well, like I said, it was kind of hard to find, you know, specific information with regards to just how this breaks down. Maybe they legally can't share that information. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. I mean, I would say maybe let's think about it this way. Not that Patreon works this way, thank God. But let's say that somebody reached out to Patreon and was like, hey, fuck millennial. (laughs) I don't want to pay for this anymore. And Patreon came to us and was like, hey, you have to refund that person's last month after we've already receive the funds. You know what I mean? We get paid on a monthly Uh, basis. And then imagine having to give that money back when you assume that money was already spoken for. Yeah. In case anyone's curious, people can actually not do that. They have to come to us and say, we want a refund. Patreon Mm. will not give patrons refunds. We can give refunds. And we're happy to. Yeah, we've uh, we've done it for sure. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. If, if your reasoning is good, I yeah. mean, you can't just ask mm-hmm. us. <laughs> you can't just be like, Andrew, you haven't told enough stories about simming lately. I'm new to Patreon. I don't understand what simming is. I had to answer the question to get into the Facebook group. I feel as though I've been uh, shorted. <laughs> I, I would feel bad in that scenario and give you a refund. You would? As long as they promise to go buy some donuts with that money. (laughs) (laughs) To that point, though, some of the replies to these tweets were definitely not it. Uh, There was one user who replied, IDK, I think you should be able to return products you don't like. The thread talking about how if you've read it all, you shouldn't be able to return it. I mean, I've definitely consumed media to see what all the hype is about, only to be resolute in disliking it. (sighs) Okay. If you go to the movie theater and you see a movie and you don't like the movie, are you going to the concession stand and asking for a refund? That's a good point. I'm sure some people do that, but come on. If you consume a piece of work, you have to pay for the privilege of consuming it, whether you liked it or not. Mm -hmm. In the example of the movie theater or even reading a book, you paid for that. You paid for a service. You did receive that service. Now, in a movie theater, if half the screen wasn't working, if all the lights were still on, you paid for a service and did not receive the service you expected. So that's grounds for a refund. Yeah, yeah. And and what this really comes down to is is some loopholes or things that need to change in Amazon's return policy for ebooks specifically, which clearly need to be reevaluated. So as it stands right now, the return window for for ebooks in the United States is seven days. And in the UK, it's 14. Um, That's a pretty generous window, even if you accidentally one click buy. I mean, at that point, if you accidentally buy something, you should be returning it right away. Right. So um And then in addition to this, some readers have also reported that there is a bit of a glitch on Kindle, which gives readers the option to return their ebooks when they go to remove it from their library. And that pops up regardless of whether... 
they've owned it for past this return window date. So that's making it even easier for people to try out this hack that's not really, you know, sounds like a big glitch. Yeah. Yeah. This is the problem sometimes with TikTok and other social media platforms for that matter. You hear about these hacks and you get so excited about them them because, oh, I'm going to save a buck that you try them out. And then you're, you're screwing over creators or small businesses, maybe. And to some extent, it's not your fault. You're not thinking about how this could affect the author because the TikTok, the Facebook posts, whatever, is not sharing that information with you about how this negatively impacts people. Also, Amazon is really good, too, about um, giving free previews for books. So you can totally read a chapter or two before even buying it to see if that book's going to be for you. I really just don't see how there's any excuse for anybody to to return a book that they already purchased with that in mind, especially when clearly people are doing this after they've read the whole thing. Yeah. Do you think that for people, maybe there's a disconnect when it comes to digital services? Because it's not like a physical, tangible thing. They're not seeing the connection between that and the author who depends on that money and understanding how what they're doing is actually causing harm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe also, too, because of the subscription world that we're in, we're just kind of used to like loading up something on Hulu and then trying it for 20 minutes and then bailing out and not feeling like we lost anything because we didn't pay for anything extra. And then you kind of carry that mindset over to Amazon and Kindle. And it's like, all right, I tried it, but I want my money back. I don't want to pay extra for this, just like I'm not paying extra on Hulu. Do you think we'll ever get to a point or maybe a service like this already exists and I just haven't heard of it, um, where it's like weekly installments of chapters, like say a new book is coming out (laughs) and you have to remain a subscriber in order to get the new content or the latest installment? We're probably not that far off yeah. from there. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's the next frontier. <laughs> I was going to say, this is not like a, you know, a traditional novel, but I know that like the Heartstopper, which was originally a, a web comic, was being released in installments. So, okay. I, although I, that's not quite the same because I, I want to say that that was free. But the point is, is that it was coming out in installments before it was published into a book so i i agree with the points that we're making here though i will also say that is part of life like sometimes you buy things and then sometimes you return them i'm not saying it's it's fair or right what these people are doing but i can also understand why some people are like well i'll return it just like i return anything else you try a new mop from target and you don't like it so you bring it back yeah but the you know and i i understand what you're saying and i agree that I think that's the mentality that a lot of people have. But the difference is at that point, you as a consumer are making a refund of a physical product to a large corporation. They, you know, oftentimes stores like that, and we can talk about this later, um, they tend to, for items that are returned, that are still usable, they sell them to like big lots, for example. Mm -hmm. So they still see some kind of financial gain from that product, even if it's returned to them. But if you're returning an ebook, it's not as though Amazon is going to say, I'm going to take this item and sell it to somebody else. It's an ebook. You can't do that. Yeah, there's right. like an infinite number of copies, right? So yeah. there's right. no like Amazon doesn't lose any skin for 
having those in their inventory. Yeah. Well, speaking of other companies, obviously, Amazon's Kindle store isn't the only store that has kind of crazy return policies. And I know that, Andrew, you wanted to talk about Costco. Yeah, I just wanted to celebrate that Costco has the most open-ended, loosey-goosey, flexible return policy of all time. You can return something to Costco months, in some cases years, after you buy it from there. And they will take it back, no questions asked. I am in the Costco subreddit because I'm a Costco super fan. I am the type I'm the type of person who wants to buy a Kirkland signature t-shirt. They will continue to allow you to return things so long as your returns do not exceed your purchases at Costco. And they're keeping track of all this because as a Costco customer, you're also a Costco member and they track you with a membership card. I bought a computer monitor from Costco last year. And then um, Apple announced they were coming out with a new one. I returned the old computer monitor to Costco six months after I bought it and they took it back. Wow. (laughs) But Costco will take anything back. And it's nice sometimes because sometimes you don't want to sell it on eBay or deal with Facebook Marketplace or whatever else. Yeah, I mean, I think there are certainly valid reasons for returning things, but some of that just sat like returning something that's over a year i think that's pretty ridiculous yeah Um, and it feels i mean probably what they're doing is they're just doing the math and they realize that they're making more money off of that model than they're actually losing i doubt that it's costco you know, that their first priority is to, you know, provide excellent customer service. They wouldn't be doing that if it wasn't profitable for them, right? In the long term. Right. They want to keep you a member forever. Yeah. But man, sometimes I can talk about my experience. I worked at Target when I was in high school and I I wore a lot of different hats at Target. I did a lot of different things there. But one of those things was I worked the uh, guest services desk which was the returns desk. And some of the shit people would try to bring back was astounding to me. Underwear (gasps) that they had worn. It's one thing if you buy a pack of underwear or if you buy something from the lingerie department and it's clear you haven't opened it and worn it. But there were legitimately people who would take that stuff home, try it on, not like it and bring it back. And I was always like, no. <laughs> That's a big no-no. Underwear, yeah. undergarments, yeah. That's disgusting. Um, sometimes uh, food, like people would buy food and take it home and not use it in enough time. So it'd go bad and then they'd bring it back and try to return it. And it was like, well, Karen, why didn't you just use <laughs> oh, your spinach? Karen. Last week. (laughs) (laughs) You love spinach, Karen. We can see that in your membership history. You buy spinach all the time. Yeah. And then there would be people who would try to bring stuff back that was so old that it was no longer even in our systems. Um, So when, when you're trying to look up an item and you can't find it because the store hasn't carried it in over two years, people get surprisingly pissed about that kind of thing. And we're not even talking high dollar items here. We're talking like things that cost between 10 and $30. People would get My super God. pissed about not being able to return that stuff. Um, so it's just wild. And I'm sure anybody who has ever or is currently working retail 
has some similar stories. If I buy something and I I was running around and and I was going too fast and didn't check the expiration date and then I realized that it's like, you know, the next day or something, I feel like that's on me. So like I won't return that, but I'm much more likely to return clothes mm-hmm. and yeah. stuff like that if I just don't like it when I get home as much as I did in the fitting room. Yeah. yeah. Well, that makes sense too. Mm-hmm. As long as you didn't like wear the clothes for you know, a couple of weeks and clearly yeah. put them through the wash and then try. I've seen that yeah, too. That's not good. Yeah. People that's buy like good. a suit for no. a wedding and then return it after. You yeah. can rent that stuff too rent if you're, it. you know, buying somebody that wears suits. Like it's, yeah. Yeah. I will say this is um, with clothes. That's why I really like Stitch Fix. I don't keep like a regular membership with them because that would get pretty expensive. But every now and then when I want to refresh my wardrobe, I'll get, you know, a couple of stitch fixes because they make it so easy to return the things that you don't want to buy. And it gives you the chance to try them on in the comfort of your home. Um, My days of like going out clothes shopping, (laughs) I think are behind me. I don't enjoy it. I find it exhausting. So I would just rather the clothes come to me and then I curate what I want to keep (laughs) send the rest of it back. Honestly, that's a great recommendation. Yeah, and that's... it's like a little, it's a little surprise gift. Yeah, you exactly. Never know what it's going to show up. So, what's your offer code, Laura? Because damn, that sounded like an ad. Really, man, I should. Maybe they'll reach out to me next. Pam, <laughs> Pam got her, you know, yeah. influencer moment. Listen. Maybe I'm coming up next. <laughs> it's not sponsored, but it could be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you listening, Stitch? You Fix? listening, Stitch? I'm actually the shirt <laughs> I'm wearing right now is from Stitch yeah. Fix. Wink, wink. You know, we've, I think we've all tried Stitch Fix here. <laughs> I have. enjoyed it when I tried it, too. I haven't tried it in a couple of years, though. I, I'm sure that their inventory has only gotten better. But I also have a good, few <laughs> good pieces. What giant ad. I'm sure their inventory has only gotten better at stitchfix.com slash Chloe. Sponsor please us, Stitch Fix. Tweet Stitch Fix right now with a link to this stream and let them know we're talking about them and maybe they'll sponsor <laughs> us. I see them sponsoring influencers. I like them too. They they have sponsor been good. Sponsor us. But we yeah, also, <laughs> and we can cut this part out if they agree to sponsor us by the end of today's episode. Um, we've also spoken about how they do a lot of fast fashion and their clothes fall apart, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we we have spoken about but that. Well, I know we, we have. have. Yes, we have. We have. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, there is no way to be completely ethical in late stage capitalism. Is all I will say to that. <laughs> This is all a joke. This is all a joke. (laughs) All right. As Andrew plugged, we're going to jump into a discussion about the trial that has taken the entire internet by storm for the last few weeks. Um, Johnny Depp officially won his defamation lawsuit against Amber Heard on Friday. Um, But the internet has been hooked on the case for quite some time. And what we're not here to do today is discuss who we think did what or try to argue the case one way or another, because it feels like that's what every other piece of content about this case has been like. And we honestly know that there's no interpretation of the events between Depp and Heard that will make 
absolutely everyone happy. We, of course, have our own opinions. But we're also going into this knowing that it's impossible to have a conversation about this issue without getting shit on because somebody's not going to like what you have to say. So I just preface this conversation by saying we know some people are going to have feelings. I'm sure we're going to get some emails. We're prepared. Um, But really, we want to talk about how this has manifested online, what it means for our culture, um, and what, you know, some um, potential interpretations of uh, the way the case came out uh, point towards. Just to set the stage, something that I feel is really important to highlight is that this was a defamation suit um, pursued by Johnny Depp in response to Amber Heard writing an an op-ed in which she alleged domestic abuse and assault. She did not name Depp in the op-ed, although it is widely accepted that she was referring to him. And I think based on the timing of when it came out, with everything that had already come out about her allegations, it's safe to say that's who she was alluding to. What's been kind of aggravating about watching all of the coverage, whether it was mainstream media or TikTok coverage or Twitter feeds, is that people forgot what this case was even about, that it was a defamation suit. And the outcome seems to have spurred this interpretation that now Johnny Depp is 100% innocent and he was actually 100% the victim and that there's no sort of more nuanced take on what might have happened in this relationship when that's not what this trial was about. It was simply the defamation suit. Now, I will say there are points in the trial (laughs) that don't make Amber Heard look great. Um, She didn't have the greatest defense. And there are some inconsistencies in her account of events at times. But I think that we need to remember that Deb actually lost a case. Um, in the UK a couple of years ago, where Amber Heard actually testified on 14 instances of alleged abuse at his hand, 12 of which the judge ultimately determined were credible and rose to the occasion of siding against Depp in that case. That's just kind of a a very general TLDR of what's been going on over the last few years. I know that this has been a case that we've all been pretty familiar with since we're all also active in the Harry Potter fandom. And of course, there's been some drama in the Potter fandom, what with Depp originally being cast in the Fantastic Beasts franchise, and then later um, stepping back from that in order to pursue his case against his ex-wife. It was after that ruling in the UK that he lost that yeah. WB asked him to step down from the Fantastic Beasts franchise. So he lost that role really due to the verdict in that case. At least that must have been a significant factor because the timing was Well, perfect. I think part of it was that he had indicated that he was not done pursuing 
this case because that the the case in the UK was about the son. I think it was referring to him as a wife beater. Yes. And the son had to go to court and prove that calling him that was valid. And the judge ultimately determined, because 12 of these 14 instances that Amber Heard testified on, judge determined that they were legitimate. So that's why Johnny lost that case. But he indicated that he was going to continue pursuing um, a defamation suit against Amber for her Washington Post op-ed. Um, so I think that also was part of WB's decision making is they didn't want somebody who was going to have to be actively promoting these movies also in the headlines, you know, dealing with this um, very contentious, very public trial. Along with all the other negative headlines Fantastic Beasts and J.K. Rowling were facing. Yeah, they they didn't need any more of that. That I felt that was important. I will say that after um, last week's outcome of the case, um, Amber Heard's original op-ed now features an editor's note after the judge in the defamation suit found portions of it to be defamatory. There definitely has been a shift, I think, in the way that Amber Heard's allegations are being interpreted on the basis of this trial. To kind of get an idea of how engaged we were with the trial, how much of it did y'all watch? I didn't really watch any of it, honestly. I do have a friend that was very invested. Um, I'm talking watching every day of the trial and then also tuning into a lot of these um, law tube breakdowns that were all the rage as well. I know a lot of people got sucked into that too. So Obviously, even though I wasn't fully paying too much attention to what was going on, I was definitely getting like play by play recaps that I was skimming through. But obviously, it's not that I don't trust this person's opinion, but it's you always have to take somebody's play by play with a grain of salt unless you're actually like hearing both sides and stuff like that. And there was an obvious lean there too what that person felt like should be the verdict that was reached. So that definitely gets tricky as well. But in a lot of ways, even if you weren't trying to watch this trial, it was impossible to escape. Yeah, because everybody was talking about it on social. Though I do want to ask right. Pam, why was your friend invested in the trial? Were they a big Depp fan or something? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Lifelong. Notice how Pam talks a little quieter to... when she's talking about yeah, this person. Well, Are you embarrassed? No, 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 I'm not. But I just don't want like, I don't know. I, I just, I, I was trying to spare them or this person from, you know, because people have such strong opinions either way. And I, I can't tell somebody what to think. Mm -hmm. And we can't do that with anybody. And the court of public opinion is very strong. Um, we've seen it sway towards Amber Heard over the course of the last few years. And now we're seeing it slant towards Johnny Depp. So yeah. So like you know, Pam, I didn't really follow it either, though it was hard to avoid on Twitter. I've said before, I'm not a huge TikTok user. So I wasn't getting a lot of that. But all the attention around it was pretty stunning. I'm continuously surprised by all the attention and love that Johnny Depp gets in general. I have to think some of this is bot activity because you look at like every Fantastic Beast post and you see nothing but 
I'm not seeing this movie since you let go of Johnny. Bring back Johnny. Justice for Johnny, et cetera, et cetera. These people are so passionate. And I'm not sure I understand why. I get he was good in Pirates of the Caribbean. But I think you also have to factor in uh, the the fact that his career spans decades and Johnny Depp was popular even before the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. I think that took him up a notch, Mm -hmm. but Gilbert Grape was huge. Crybaby is really big as well. Like he'd been around. That's why people were so excited when he got cast to do Pirates, which was already a very popular ride. So I don't know. I, I don't not believe that some of it was bought interference but i also like don't quite i don't know if i would say it was like holy bots because he he's always had a very passionate fan base and fair, the pirate fair. stuff you know added to that a lot yeah if you poke around online um you will definitely find interpretations that say you know the the massive outpouring of support for johnny had to have been supplemented by bots we don't know that Right. Maybe Mm -hmm. somebody out there knows that. But here on this show, we don't know that. Right. But what we do know is that um, on TikTok, the hashtag Justice for Johnny Depp um, had more than 6.8 billion views as of a few days ago um, when this Rolling Stone article that I'm pulling it from was published. um, And the I Stand with Amber Heard tag had just over 2.4 million views. And then on Twitter, um, some pro debt posts received more likes than Heard's entire Twitter following. <laughs> so she wow. has just north of 200,000 followers and some pro debt tweets received more likes even than that. Wow. So it's clear at the very least that one of them just has a stronger perception in mm-hmm. the public than the other. And I think having a lengthier career does that. We have to remember there's more than a 20-year age difference between these two. Um, they met when she was 22 years old and he was almost 50. So there's quite an age gap. She does not have as lengthy of a resume as he does, for sure. I wanted to ask y'all, though, because we know the public has gone so wild about this case and it feels like it's really hard to have a conversation about this without encountering some very strong views one way or the other. And they're not just strong views, they're strongly held convictions. And I've seen people get real heated um, defending whatever position they have on this case. What do we make of everybody's obsession? with this. I mean, obviously, it's celebrities. It's Hollywood gossip. So there's an element of that that I think yeah. plays into it. But is there something else that's special about this case that y'all think appealed to people? Well, in addition to what you said, people love a train wreck. People love watching other people's dramas. This is this was like a reality television series. And of course, it was very helpful that the judge allowed the entire trial to be televised. It was a perfect storm of elements to create a high-profile trial. I'm still honestly flabbergasted by the judge's decision to allow this entire trial to be televised, especially when you look at some of the the evidence that was brought forth brought forth um a lot of these like 
calls and stuff like that that were played to the entire world. It just feels like information that's sensitive enough. We shouldn't be allowed to listen, you know, regardless of what side you're on. That's very, you know, you're talking about people at the, at their lowest point. And the fact that we now get to listen to that and use that as entertainment or water cooler talk is kind of gross. Yeah, that's how I felt seeing coverage of the whole thing, too. So much of what I did see um, just seemed so private. (laughs) I just looked it up quick and I have a little reporting in terms of why the judge decided to do this. The judge noted that she was getting a lot of media requests and she had a responsibility to keep the proceedings open to observers. I'm quoting Variety. If cameras were not allowed, she worried that reporters would come to the courthouse, potentially creating a hazardous condition there. And she said, quote, I don't see any good cause not to do it. I don't know if I I mean, like, I don't really buy all that. It's the judge's decision. But yeah, I just kind of I don't agree with that either. People like reporters go to courthouses and stand outside all the time for these high profile cases. What would have been the difference here? You don't see any good reason not to. You don't see any. None. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, too, is like this all gets really tricky. And again, especially because it is at the at the discrepancy of the judge, ultimately. But, you know, a lot of often what factors into this is whether or not they feel like a jury can come to an unbiased decision. And so to then open this entire storm up to the court of public opinion, there's no way that anybody that's sitting on that trial was not hearing about how the public was perceiving the information that was coming out. Yeah. And you have to think that has to be an immense amount of pressure, especially Mm -hmm. knowing how intense some fans of each of these actors are. So yeah, I I hear you. I'll also point out that um, Court TVs, they uh, doubled their daytime ratings. (laughs) airing their coverage of this of course they did got a kickback yeah it's well it's the same thing that happened with the oj trial you know Mm. everybody knows how stuff like this goes they they know they're gonna make money off of it Uh, but to answer your original question laura i also think that what really kind of for better or worse uh found people like swept up in the idea of what this trial was is that you know it is happening uh in the shadow of the me too movement which has been a really timely topic over the course of the last few years for everybody especially in the entertainment industry as well so i i definitely think that that added to it a lot in addition to the star power and and how public a lot of this had already played out and then you when you like look at like you know like the tmz video that came out before even the op-ed and stuff like that it's just yeah it was a perfect storm i think for sure Yeah, and I've seen some, and these are op-eds, that posit that the general reaction to this case sort of stands as a lashback or a repudiation of the Me Too movement. I don't know how I feel about that. I think on an individual level, it could be. I could see certain individuals using it as a very blatant black and white interpretation of, see, he did nothing and she did everything. 
women can be abusers too, but I don't know that I would feel comfortable saying that it is a mass cultural pushback on Me Too. Certainly not a cultural no. pushback that Me Too hasn't had already. <laughs> I mean, right. yeah. It, it's yeah. not I as though Me Too that. has not been challenged in multiple ways. But I did want to highlight something um, that I learned about. So victim's advocate, Dr. Jessica Taylor, who is a psychologist, forensic psychology, PhD, and author of two books on misogyny and abuse, said that she, um, ever since the outcome of the trial, has already been contacted by hundreds of survivors wishing to retract their public statements that they've made in the press or are pulling out of court cases against their abusers. She says that the verdict, quote, opens the floodgates for future defamation cases. She goes on to say survivors watching this will rethink everything they say out loud about what happened to them and the potential of being sued and dragged through a court process for saying something they know is true, but they could be found guilty of defamation. Yeah, that's really scary. And and that's why nobody should really be celebrating the outcome of this case. And it shouldn't have been turned into a vehicle for enter- for entertainment. Like we mentioned TikTok. I saw this TikTok of Lance Bass mocking Amber Heard's testimony. And I saw somebody else bring up the point like, dude, you were in the band with Justin Timberlake who threw Britney Spears under the bus. Please do not enter this group chat. Because you have no room to talk right, right now. Right, exactly. And I think, you know, it's it's one of these cases where multiple things can be true. If your interpretation, if you feel strongly that Amber Heard was the one and only aggressor in this situation, then you would also have to concede the point that it's bad for survivors. Um, if you feel strongly that Johnny Depp was the aggressor, or if you feel like it was some combination of the two or some sort of mutually abusive relationship, you also have to admit that that outcome isn't good for survivors either. Um, Either way, it puts survivors in a position of feeling um, extra pressure to justify coming forward and sharing their experiences. Um, and knowing that they'll be taken seriously, right? So th- this is not good for anyone. No. Is the upshot here for me. Yeah. And where I come down on this is something I think you've mentioned a couple of times now, Laura. They they both were doing some messed up things to each other. They both were abusive. Based on what we've heard from this testimony, past testimony, past evidence, I don't know how you can't come away with that conclusion, unless you're just saying, well, one of them is lying. Um, Team Johnny Depp and Amber Heard is doing nothing but lying. I don't know how you could be so sure of that. You can't. It does really feel like a sports team mentality. Yeah. Has been adopted. There's compelling evidence on both sides. And I will say, too, you know, I think it's objectively a good thing that the public, or at least the people who are invested in this case, seem to be moving towards. The understanding that anyone can be a victim of domestic violence and sexual assault and that um, abuse has no gender, that, you know, Mm -hmm. men and women can both be victims of this. Um, But I think in some ways the fervor 
of this realization for people, again, led some to this very black and white conclusion of it's either yeah. all or all or nothing. One person is 100% guilty and the other has zero culpability. Yeah. And no, we can't look at it that way. Yeah. It just, it just feels like disingenuous. The, yeah. <laughs> ahead, and not Pam. to take a, I was going to say not to take away from the, the people that all of this directly affects at the end of the day, which is Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. But I just really feel like the, the witch hunting really needs to stop in terms of the online discourse as well, because like, the back and forth I've seen between people on both sides of this debate against each other is awful. Um, also, all of the calling for mainstream media, to, like, you know, the heads of mainstream media to do more or do less is is also kind of disheartening as well. I saw somebody suggesting that it wasn't enough that you know, like the Washington Post, for example, put an editor's note in front of her op-ed and saying that they should have just deleted it all together, which I don't personally agree with because mm. erasing history is also not the right move as well, regardless of what transpired as a result of this trial. So, yeah, I think everybody kind of just needs to like cool off and <laughs> and stop attacking each other. I feel like that sounds so lame in hindsight, you know, it's like everybody be nice to each other, but but it really I don't think it solves anything to be screaming at each other from across screens and stuff. Yeah, well, I think it it speaks to the point that human beings should be capable of evolving their opinions and interpretations of things as new evidence comes to light and with that understanding, I'm wondering if how this case is playing out because it's still ongoing. I think Amber Heard has uh, a countersuit <laughs> um, that she'll be pursuing in the future. Am I right about that? I don't or know. Was, I believe that that was what uh, her lawyer said in an interview recently. Yeah. But I, again, I have haven't really kept up with yeah. the media storm that's also happened since the verdict came in because they've also um I know her team has kind of been doing the rounds yeah for that as well yeah I don't think that this is the last we're going to hear about these two no. but with the way this case is playing out do we think that we'll respond to allegations of abuse differently in the future yeah I think so and I think Laura you're teeing me up for the yeah. um, statement. So just to give everybody some background, when the Johnny Depp allegations started coming out a few years ago at this point, we started writing on Hypable underneath every Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts article, quote, editor's note, Johnny Depp, who co-stars in this film, has been repeatedly accused of acting violently towards others. He allegedly beat his ex-wife Amber Heard. And then we included some links. We also said J.K. Rowling responded to the controversy. In July 2018, Depp was accused of punching a crew member on the set of a film in April 2017. And then we included a link to why we were telling people that. And that link goes to an article about why we had decided that going forward, we were going to start reminding people of the allegations against actors who Hollywood continues to lift up. Too often in Hollywood, allegations come up Evidence comes out, audio clips come out, take the Mel Gibson tapes, for example. And these people do get canceled, sometimes, not all the times, rightfully. But when they are rightfully canceled, Hollywood has a tendency 
to forget that they were canceled and forget the awful shit that they did. See also Kevin Spacey. All this stuff comes out. Everybody's like, shame on you. How dare you, etc. And then we just forget and they get cast in new projects again. It's happened with Mel Gibson. It's happened with uh, Kevin Spacey. I think, Laura, yes, for me, this was a learning lesson. Would I have maybe, if Hypable was still active today, started putting warnings up or notes about uh, Amber Heard on articles about Amber? Yeah, probably. The thing was, we were covering Johnny Depp quite a bit because he was in Harry Potter movies, which we covered quite a bit. We weren't covering Amber Heard stuff much. We weren't covering Aquaman, etc. And also, I found this quote when I was researching for today, this quote from, from Viola Davis back in 2017, and we included this in these editor notes that we did with Johnny Depp, our statements on Johnny Depp. Viola Davis said, the predator wants your silence. The media can no longer grant them that benefit. And that's something to keep in mind. The media yeah. just moves the fuck on. So I was tired of it. And that's why we started having those statements about Depp. Yeah, I think it's a fair point to bring up that, again, Amber Heard's career was not and will never be comparable to Johnny Depp's career. So it's natural that any kind of entertainment site might reference him more than her, at least at that time, Mm -hmm. um, before all of this controversy really got stirred up. But yeah, I mean, I think for myself, I remember taking the allegations really seriously. And that's not something I think should change. I think they should be taken seriously. In retrospect, I do think that there would have been some value to saying, let's keep an eye on this and see what comes of it. Just because a lot more information has come out since then, there are definitely multiple cases, to your point, Andrew, of Johnny Depp being accused of physical violence, not just towards Amber Heard. Um, And it seems like that is the spin that is being put on the story nowadays, is that nobody else has ever accused Johnny Depp of violence. And that's that's not true. But we also acknowledge that Amber Heard has been accused of being physically violent towards a partner before. So I think being being patient and what I think, Andrew, you said this before, like you you put a pin in the person, right? And you you don't forget what the allegations have been and you keep it in mind and you stay up to date on it. Yeah. And then you you kind of watch and see, especially for people like us who are, you know, we're members of the public. None of us are ever going to meet Johnny Depp or Amber Heard probably. (laughs) Um, So I think it would definitely behoove all of us not to feel the temptation to be the first to hop on a hot take. Not to say that that's what we were doing, but I think the internet culture does... It encourages it. It it conditions people to think that that's the way that we do discourse, I think is what I'm trying to say. That's Twitter. That's social media. It's like social media is about what's happening now. And it demands that you add your feedback now. I mean, literally right at the top of Twitter, it's like, what's happening? Give us your thoughts on everything now. We don't care if they make sense or not, if they're factually correct correct or not. Get your thought posted quick. Well, speaking of public hearings... 
we know of one that's coming up that we really hope people are going to be invested in. Um, and that is um, the January 6th commission hearings kicking off this Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Are you all going to be there? I'm going to be there. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I'm actually excited about this. I just love that they're televising it during prime time. What is it like? Yeah, 8 p.m. Eastern. I think that's really funny. Fight fire with fire. I mean, this is the type of crap that Republicans would love to pull if they could. So I'm all in on it. I'm bringing the popcorn. I'm I'm calling Domino's. I'm going to have some pizza. I'm not actually going to celebrate all this, but I am going to tune in, though. I want to see how they make a spectacle out of it. And please do make it a spectacle. Republicans get away with so I mean, much if crap. It's prime yeah, time, I feel like that's what we deserve, right? Yeah. Yeah. Please. Some grandiose <laughs> statements like Ted Cruz would make and bring racist baby with you as a oh talking point. <laughs> Do you think babies are racist? Um, <laughs> apparently, the committee is going to be showing some previously never before seen evidence. That they Coming think be- up at nine, yeah. Meryl Streep will introduce some previously <laughs> never before seen footage. Yeah. So uh, apparently the thought is that it will be shocking to the public. Um, but I think, you know, if for no other reason, it's history. We have to watch it and we can never forget that there was, you know, a violent insurrection that happened in this country's capital less than two years ago. Is Ryan Seacrest hosting? Who is the host of this primetime event? <laughs> Lester Holt. Lester Holt, boring. <laughs> I need a star. Give me Ryan Seacrest. I hate Ryan Seacrest. <laughs> Give me um, uh, Kelly Clarkson. Howard Stern. Howard Stern. <laughs> <laughs> well, one outlet that we know actually won't be covering it is Fox News, right, Andrew? Yes, Fox News has announced they will not be airing the hearings. They will be airing them on Fox Business, but not on Fox News. They have very important episodes of Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity to air. And of course, uh, people were quick to react to this development. Sawyer Hackett said Fox News ran 1,098 primetime segments on Benghazi from the day of the attack until the committee hearings, which they carried live for more than seven hours. And Hillary Clinton said, in response to this news, Fox News won't air the January 6th hearings because they prefer their sedition made fresh on sites. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, they can't cover it because so many of their news anchors would be reporting on something that they were part of. That's true. Yeah, like Sean Hannity was texting Donald Trump Jr. Right. or vice versa, like, get your dad to, to calm down or something like yeah, that. Yeah, not just that. I mean, Laura They're Ingram. They're all implicated. Yeah, they yeah. were all texting Mark Meadows. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, do something. He's ruining. I think Laura was like, he's ruining his legacy. Legacy, <laughs> yeah. 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 Talk about a conflict of interest that I didn't think we would see. <laughs> Talk about how they all ignore that they sent these text messages. I hope those text messages get brought up during the hearing tomorrow. I hope, oh, so, I hope too. so too. <laughs> I hope, oh man, you know CNN's going to lean into the live coverage. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. Breaking news. <laughs> Breaking news. Yeah, no, they're moving past that now, right? They they are uh, using it's, it less. It's one more, one more for the road. One more breaking news for the road. Well, this is breaking news. Like it is a live event. It, they're going to stop using breaking news when they say something's breaking news but it actually happened like eight hours ago 
Okay, so before we get to one more topic today, just wanted to plug our Patreon. We kicked off a three-part series last week. <laughs> we were initially calling these more of a family-friendly, like, all about Pam. And um, we accidentally came up with a new title at the end of last week's After Dark, Deep Dive into Pam. And this week, we have part two, Deep Dive into Andrew. But here's a quick review of last week's Deep Dive. This was from patron Allison. They said, I loved the After Dark deep dive into Pam. She's a bit of a mystery I've loved hearing more about. You know what this means, Pam? We got to do a part two. We got to reveal more about Sounds you. Sounds good. Sounds <laughs> oh, good. Oh, <laughs> look at this team player. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding for now. But yeah, so this week's After Dark is all about me. Laura and Pam are going to put me in the hot seat and ask some questions about my life and uh, how I got to where I am today, stuff like that. So you can find that at patreon.com slash millennial. Then we'll do a deep dive into Laura next week. Thanks to everybody who supports us. We couldn't do this without you. We really couldn't. Patreon.com slash millennial. We're so lucky to have listeners and so lucky to have patrons. We love y'all. And if you can't support us financially, that's okay. We understand. It's hard out there. But if you can make sure you're following the show for free in your favorite podcast app, if you can leave a review, if you can tell a friend about the show, it all is really helpful. And of course, use those sponsor codes. So if I told you to, the world is so gloomy that people are reducing the amount they put into savings each month and instead they're YOLOing it up, what would you say to that? Spending more, saving less. Do you think that's a good idea? No, but I get it. Would you do it? Would you do it today, tomorrow? Mm, I would have to find out that the world was actually going to blow ending. up soon. You know, I, I would need to know the expiration date. Like an Armageddon situation, but without Bruce Willis blowing up the asteroid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, then I would do I it. I get that. YOLO. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I, this, I'm too anxious to subscribe to this way of life because yes. what if the world doesn't end? Right. Maybe that makes me an optimist. Well, look, I mean, let's just jump to the end of this. The world's not going to end. So people got to let go of this <laughs> attitude. I'm asking this question because there was this new profile in the New York Times about some people. Many adults under 35 has have stopped playing it safe. Instead of banking as much of their pay as they used to, they're saving less, spending more and pursuing passion projects or risky careers. Quote, for some, like Miss Narang, the isolation of pandemic life triggered the decision to enjoy the moment, financial consequences be damned. For others, the motivation has come from worries over climate change, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, domestic political instability, soaring inflation, through the roof housing costs, and a topsy-turvy stock market. And people like Miss Narang and others are traveling more. Like I said, they're saving less. They're buying things they normally wouldn't buy because they feel like there's no tomorrow. And I do find this pretty irresponsible. I guess I get it. But you can you really not see into the future if you feel this way? These people are moving yeah. to much more expensive cities. I feel like there's a, a happy middle ground here that you can reach without just like burning all your money. I've talked before about how my mom works in banking and stuff, and and she does deal with like an older clientele as well, who are now only starting to realize that they've saved more than they actually probably need to like make a living because you know Ooh, they, can they I clearly are loaded, which is great. Yeah, but it's like I, I, that's how I feel every time she talks about this too. And their their philosophy is like, well, you can't take it with you. And in, in some cases, I agree because 
unfortunately, in the United States, we're a very like work oriented society. We've sort of been like programmed to think that like we just need to like work, work, work and save, save, save. And because one day we won't be able to work or save. And and so I, I do I think that you should like treat yourself every once in a while and, and you know, maybe like save up to take that trip. Yeah, I think that that's really healthy. But I also think that there there's like a a way to do that without just like completely going broke. Yeah, because you're just like continuing to spend without actually like saving anything at all. I totally agree with that. Work should not be your life. I can see why some people would start living this way. If you are looking at the media headlines, so much of it is doom and gloom, and that is partly by design. They want to scare you so you'll actually read the articles. And if you're watching a lot of the news and you're seeing a lot of the bad news on social media, it all consumes you. And you're like, you know, you have like this moment you see in the movies where you quit the job and (laughs) you hop on a bus and you head to the West Coast and finally live the life you've been dreaming of. But it just seems very irresponsible. And I worry about these people. Yeah, me too. But, you know, Pam, you mentioned, you know, your mom working with some folks who have been successful, it sounds like, with their retirement savings, which is great. And that's what I want for all of us. But um, we we talked about this several weeks ago, I think. As a generation, boomers are not ready for retirement. Uh, many of them have not saved enough for retirement. And I think for younger generations, that calls into question whether we're actually going to be able to retire. So I can understand. I don't think it's a good idea. Let me go on the record and say that. I think it's a bad idea. But I can understand why somebody who's younger and is maybe looking at parents who are not prepared for retirement and is looking at the current state of our economy and wondering, how am I going to be able to get ahead of this massive curve so that I can be prepared for retirement? Do I want to bust my ass making that happen? Or do I want to enjoy my life now while I can? Yeah. And while I can still travel and while I can still do things and live in all kinds of crazy places that yeah. you can't really do when you're older. So I understand it. I, I get where people are coming from. I agree with all that. Just try to make some good decisions along the way. Make an investment that's going to pay off. But speaking of like living in the now before things disappear, I was wondering if you two have ever looked at the gloomy state of a certain aspect of the world. It doesn't have to be the world on a whole, but something more specific and prioritized differently in light of the negative outlook. For example, for me, we've spoken, I think we last spoke about this a few months ago. There's a mega drought happening on the western half of the U.S. And one very important water source is the Colorado River. I have found myself feeling the urge to explore more areas of the Southwest and specifically areas along the Colorado River while there's still enough water in the Colorado River. (laughs) Really good example of just how things have changed so dramatically in the past few years. There was this area of Glen Canyon National Recreation Area fed by the Colorado River called Lone Rock, and I drove by it. Back in 2017, it was this giant, giant rock in the middle of the water. And you drive by it and you're like, whoa, cool. That's a giant rock just sticking out of the middle of the water. You don't see something like that every day. 
I continued driving by, you know, and that was that. I drove by this on New Year's Day this past month. It wasn't a lone rock anymore. <laughs> there was no water around it. Oh, my God. It's a rock just standing up, a giant cliff standing up in the dirt. And it's really sad how such a beautiful, dramatic uh, piece of Glen Canyon could dramatically change in just five years. If you look at, I have a picture here actually for uh, you two to look at if you want. Uh, but if you look at a before and after, you can see how it used to be surrounded by water and now it's just surrounded by sand. And it's just a really good wow. illustration of how things have changed. It's sad. That is sad. Again, that's five years. Five years have passed. That's why we got to start exploring the Colorado River now. Anyway, yep. <laughs> any horrible find things all those like bodies that. and barrels. Right. Yeah, I got to turn them <laughs> in and stuff. Um, so it's it's not quite the same insofar as, you know, wanting to see something before it goes toes up. Um, but my approach towards my student loans is I just don't believe that we're ever going to get fair repayment terms, terms for our loans. Um, I, I'm not personally, I've talked about this on the show before. I would love it if student loan forgiveness happened. I don't really think that it will in any kind of like complete way, like wiping the slate clean for everyone. And I'm personally okay with that. I'm happy to pay off my loans. It's going to take me, you know, most of the rest of my life to do it. But all I ask for is fair repayment terms. However, I don't think it's going to happen. So my approach towards paying my student loans is I just pay the government, you know, $300 a month to not wreck my credit. (laughs) And I've accepted that. I'm like, I just pay the government money to not fuck up my credit. And that's just how I'm going to roll with it. I know it's kind of fatalist, but I, you know, with the interest being what it is, I'm not incentivized to try and get ahead on it because I don't want to throw my money at interest. Well, I could definitely relate to both of you for sure. You know, Liza brought up one I'm sure you can relate to, Pam, all the wildfires out West. Like you got to see some of these national parks and um, some yeah, of the beautiful forests yeah. in, in California before some of those burn down. Mm-hmm. And some of them areas of these parks already have, which is extremely sad. I mean, I'll tell you that a lot of the... Like, we're still seeing damages. There's still areas up in wine country specifically where, like, those areas have not recovered yet from uh, fires that happened, you know, six years ago, which is, is crazy. And it really kind of puts into perspective just how long it takes for the earth to repair itself. And, and that's also disheartening because then you think about how like a lot of this could be presented if, if like the entire world was more serious about global warming issues. All right. Well, that is that. Just try to save a little bit, y'all. Invest in yourselves in um, some financial ways if you can. Prioritize those to an extent. But also, yes, live your life. Just keep it all in balance. Yeah. I know this this is going to sound so cliche, but if if you're on the younger side like in your early 20s, early to mid 20s, if you start putting away $10 a week and just make that a habit, you'll be surprised how quickly yeah. it adds up. Yep. I wish I, I had love, done that. <laughs> uh, me too. I love using stash to auto invest 
you can pick whatever amount you want, a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars. You can pick any interval you want, a week, a month, every other month, you know, different intervals. Just let that money automatically move in an amount that you can afford each week, each month, each year. And like Laura's saying, it'll add up over time. In terms of recommendations this week, at least I think we all shared recommendations earlier. If you have any feedback about today's episode, you can email millennialshow at gmail.com or you can use the contact forum or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. You can also follow us on our social media channels. We are Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And then over on TikTok, we are Millennial Pod. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.